Hello. Invite the Neighbors is sponsored by Two Foot Parade Records. Two Foot Parade is an independent record label based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, Their mission is to invest in artists without requiring them to give any partial ownership of their work. Um, They have a website, twofootparade.com, where they're accepting submissions currently, and all their socials are at Two Foot Parade. Um, And currently they have tapes out for Ness Lake and Worry Club. Both have tapes that came out in the last couple of months that are still available on the site um and also on as of march 5th closet goth released well re-released their album friendship village which is out as a tape which comes with a digital zine so check out twofootparade.com um again they're accepting submissions at that site so go check it out and welcome to another episode of Invite the Neighbors. This is your host, Brian Porter. Um, on this episode, uh, I speak with Eric from the band Counterpunch. Um, I actually spoke with Eric twice. The first time around, we had technical issues, and I lost half the episode. So the first half hour or so of this is from that conversation. I don't really remember exactly everything we talked about. Um, sorry if there's some overlap, but then I just talked to him today, March 22nd, um, and we talked about their new record, um, we talked about touring, and, you know, we talked about Invite the Neighbors stuff, stuff we normally talk about on the podcast, musical, musical things. Um, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome! Myself and my co-host Benny, who's not here, we're both musicians, and we're kind of, you know, in that whole DIY scene, and, um... We just like talking to other bands, figure out what their experiences are like, and I feel like we ask pretty good questions, and it's pretty fun. We bullshit, but it gets deep. You know, everything that you would want in a podcast, um, this is it. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Follow us on Twitter, um, at ITNPod, Instagram, Invite the Neighbors. Probably going to switch it up to where they're all the same thing at some point, but... You know, you can figure it out. If you're listening to this podcast, I feel like you can figure out how to find us. Um, that being said, I did just try to help you. So anyways, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, give us a rate, a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Give us a follow. Um, share it on your Instagrams. You know, help us out. Help us out. Anyways, thank you for listening. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Eric from Counterpunch. I just like, kind of fell into it and you know, the idea of bringing it to shows and just beating the crap out of it after a while, just after knowing that wasn't really appealing. So to be able to get like a new one that I don't care if I ding or scratch or whatever. was yeah. awesome. And it was just not, I could never get that guitar to live up to the other one. It was just like the build quality on it was just not there. It always yeah. had, like, I was always fixing or changing or tinkering with something on that guitar, changing out parts, you know, I could never get the intonation perfect on it. And it was just a nice, the dragon dude. Totally. I ended up just selling it and I was super bummed about it. And I haven't, I haven't bought another new Gibson since to be honest. You know, I am, a. there's a lot to unpack there. Cause I'm a musician too. I don't know if that was made clear to you at all. Um, I just a little bit of background, you know, I play in rock bands. 
Um, that's why I do this podcast. I like to make connections in the music scene and I like to talk to other bands, but you meant, so I can, I can relate to this, the, the trauma involved in finding the perfect guitar. And then like something you said, especially wrong accord with like not wanting, like having certain guitars that you don't want to ding up and then you don't, that you want to keep pristine or whatever. I have completely abandoned that at this <laughs> point in my life where like, cause I have, my my the baby crown jewel of my collection is a uh, uh just american standard stratocaster that i put a bunch of you know i completely changed all the hardware it's it's like olympic white but with like all gold hardware and like a cream perlite pick guard it just it's gorgeous Ooh, that but sounds sexy it's dude it's it's fucking rad but i i just i'm never going to sell it and so once i acknowledge that to myself like i just stopped babying it so much like i think i will always like once or twice a year i'll t i have a, like a luthier that i like to take it to who does a really great does really great work on guitars and i just get it reset up so i make sure that it's always like an excellent playing condition but like if it gets scratched or if it gets i kind of want knowing that i'll never sell it i kind of want it to get fucked up a little bit but like it naturally if that makes sense, because like if you see like the, like the vintage or like the relic guitars, like th there's something so cool about them. So I figure like if I if my my one if the crown jewel of my guitar collection gets totally fucked up over the course of my life, that that's kind of all right with me at this point because it's such it's so much it's like having a really nice car is is cool, but it's like also so much more anxiety than just having a beater. Totally. You know, so if you can have a beater with like a really sweet engine in it <laughs> and, you know, it goes really fast and that's all you care about. I feel like, you know, it's about like kind of like finding that happy medium, I guess, for me. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've since graduated to um, the Chris Shiflet Telly and it's it's a Mexico, you know, it's, it's a Mexico made fender. So my concerns initially, again, were build quality after the experience I'd had with you know, with those Gibsons and yeah, I was shocked. It honestly for like six ninety nine or five ninety nine out the door, it plays great. I mean, I obviously gutted all the hardware, gutted all the electronics and just redid it. I mean, if there's one thing they're gonna skimp on at that price point, it's gonna be like quality quality pots, you know, like quality capacitors, tuners, stuff like that. Yeah. But, yeah, I threw like three hundred bucks at at it. And I'm completely okay with, you know, like an $800 guitar. If, if, God forbid, someone steals it, it's not the end of the world as like, fuck, someone just stole a $3,000 Les Paul from me. I'm, I'm you know, yeah. I'm, or if it just like, if it it's beyond repair, yeah, it sucks, but it's completely replaceable and it's not that hard to do. So. Right, right. See, like I'm, I'm of the uh, opinion now that like, I, I don't think I'll ever spend that money on a guitar until like that's like a retirement guitar for me. And sorry guys, I know this is a weird episode because right there we had a, a glitch and maybe like thirty seconds of conversation got cut out. So this is me doing editing, blah blah blah. So basically the next thing you're gonna hear is where Discord decided to start recording the conversation again. And this is still from our first conversation a couple months ago. Okay. Sorry. Play it lovingly know, in your living like, room. It's funny, like he was telling me about all of them, and like there's not very many that he actually like toured with. A lot of them, he's he's. It seems that he's like collected after 
the like now that he's like full time in his studio and mm-hmm. just like making pedals and testing them all the time and shit. That's when collect super guitar. This this asset all the auto and you know between four and basement thing. But have like a that like, those guitars are almost an investment because like the more you have it's like it's more appealing to bands coming in, you know. Totally. It's it's kind of cool that it's an option if you know if he allows anyone coming in to work at his studio to he knows what Tony's he's like hunting for and he'd be like, you know what? I have this head over here. Why don't we try why don't we try these this um you know this guitar with these P90s over here? I kind of have, have recorded yeah. or played with this tone before, and it's I feel like it's exactly what you're looking for. It's it's awesome to have those options. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I uh, I was gonna ask you guys because how how long have you guys been a band? So Jared and I have been playing together in one form of counterpunch or another since like 2001. Oh, okay. 2001, 2003, 2004, we were um, around there. We were playing, basically, we were playing together, but it was it was called Dear You. We were a three-piece for a while. Um, we just kind of evolved and ended up turning into Counterpunch and releasing a record in 2007. Cause Cause it I, seems weird. I just, I looked on your Spotify, and I know there's just a little salt and pepper going on. And you guys are a distinguished punk band at this point. So Correct. I just, I we're, was a just... of, we're a band full of gray bushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was just curious based on that, like how, how has the, what kind of changes have you seen in, in the music industry and like, just like, or just like the different scenes compared, like since you're still playing, like, and you're still, you know, putting out new stuff, like what kind of changes have you seen? Um, from the time you started to now? Um, I mean, I, I can say here, at least in Chicago directly, uh, I mean, when the, the Fireside Bowl was like the place I spent pretty much every weekend in as like a teenager in early 20s and stuff like that. And it was just the amount of bands that came through on a weekly basis and the quality of shows that were being put on in this like dumpy bowling alley were insane. And it was like a community. Uh, even, even like the, um, there was a, a Knights of Columbus out in the suburbs here that would do the same kind of thing, like a bunch of shows. And you always knew you were going to, like, it was just you going to a show with like 40 of your friends, you know, you'd all end up seeing yeah. each other at the show and you'd all end up hanging out. I feel like the way things even pre COVID have kind of evolved is, and a lot of it might be just everyone's head in their phone and a lot less of personal interpersonal interaction. I just, I just feel like that sense of community is kind of gone that from the scene, at least here in Chicago, I, I can't speak for every town because, you know, I was, I live here, but you still see, you know, a group of the same general people at the show, but it's just, it doesn't feel like it didn't, doesn't feel like it did. You know, it's not, it's not as uh, it's not a, as much of a community as it used to be. Do you think that that's, particular do you think that's emblematic of just society as a whole or do you think it's maybe i i'm asking this as a genuine question because i don't know the answer but i'm wondering if 
if that's like I said, emblematic of society as a whole, or if that is emblematic of maybe punk music not being as popular as it once was, or maybe it's like the people who are into punk music are more like I don't want to say growing out of it because I think it's it's one of those like formative genres that's is ultimately timeless. But I think maybe they're like a lot of them would need babysitters, like you know that sort of vibe. And maybe totally. less of them are able to come out to this time thing because like it's interesting you say that because it contrasts with like I think where there still is those community the communal type environments, but I think it's in different. I see it in different genres now. Like I see it in more in like the emo, like wherever the like the younger kids the, the DIY emo scene there's a lot of that and mm-hmm. almost to the point where it's like more about that than it is the music to an extent not that that's a good or a bad thing necessarily like good communities are good things um but yeah i'm just curious like kind of what you think about that i can i mean i can definitely i can definitely see that um it's like wherever the okay. wherever the kids wherever the kids go you know whatever's popular at that yeah. time, you know, you generally have your friends that are, for the most part, into the same stuff you are into. So maybe it's just that I'm, yeah, I'd like you, like we said, I'm, I'm Graybush now, so I don't, I don't have that interaction anymore. And then maybe I'm making generalizations based upon what I see as like a forty-year-old playing punk, you know? Yeah, and you know, I don't tell guests that come on this podcast before that, but it is therapy. This podcast is therapy for uh struggling musicians so you know if you ever feel like you need to pour your heart out invent <laughs> about the state of things you've come to the right place <laughs> we, we go deep are you tomorrow same time yeah <laughs> <laughs> first hour's free after that we'll talk about it um but uh, no so i but i i want to say though that like i you know this this idea of aging out of things and you know the popular kids you know the popular thing being where the young people are that that's terrifying to me um i i'm gonna be 30 in a couple weeks and uh i i mean you're probably thinking of that like oh wow sounds great but like i'm honestly terrified that i'm quickly aging out of things you know what i mean like at the end of the day i i love seeing bands of graybeards who are still doing it and still loving it because that tells me that like i don't need to worry so much like it doesn't matter like age is just a number all those cliches but it's true like i just want like do you see this as something like does it bother you that much that those like those sort of ages things are happening or do you just like are you just happy to be playing music honestly um i mean for me it's it's just getting together plugging in cranking up and being able to play music with my friends i mean yeah yeah we're, we're like bandmates and business partners and, and from that respect but it's it's so much more than that it's just like it's it's almost like um i'm not gonna say therapy but it's just like there's so much bad in this world that it's it's great to just disconnect and live in that moment and just have a blast with your friends and not really thinking about anything going on outside that room at that time no, I feel like that, that's definitely something that I think is lost with the age of social media is living in the moment. You know, everyone's so concerned about getting their camera out and, and capturing this moment for likes and shares instead of just living in that moment and making that memory without a camera in your hand, you know? Right. 
Right, right. You know, that's that's the type of... You know what's ironic about that? Maybe not necessarily ironic, but, like, that's, like, the main reason that people get into music is it's so fun. It's the camaraderie. It's it's plugging in and playing with your friends. And the idea that anyone would criticize someone for being too old or, you know, any sort of ageist type of... Um, anything when it comes to playing music like obviously people make fun of me even for being like a certain age and like you know when a lot of kids are like 21 22 and i'm almost 30 like but the whole the whole point was always just to have fun with your friends and the idea that that somehow goes away as you get older i think is kind of preposterous like i think if, if that ever does go away that's not because you got older. I think it's just because you let it get away from you. You know what I mean? Totally. No, I can agree with that. I mean, people evolve as, I mean, I think I saw, I read this somewhere actually yesterday and it resonated with me pretty hard. Um, as a, as a person to, to write your obituary and then that's where you are right now. That, that paragraph or whatever of your accomplishments or however you want to write that, changes every single day there's always an add-on there's always an addition and if you're not pushing yourself it just kind of reminded me to you know continue to grow continue to change continue to learn because once you stop doing that and unfortunately we will never know what happens when you stop doing that because that is where discord stopped recording our first conversation um so Again, sorry for the technical difficulties. Really nothing we can do when Discord rarely, you know, sometimes decides to shit out on us and, you know, eat an entire episode. So that's kind of what happened here. But this next conversation um, is more recent. And we talk about Counterpunch's new record. And here it is again. Eric and I from, well, Eric from Counterpunch. And me, Brian, from Fight the Neighbors. Okay. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Oh, Eric, right? Yeah. Yeah, nice to do this again. <laughs> Appreciate oh, you yeah. uh actually, you know, coming back on and um I'll probably explain at the beginning for the like in the intro that we did this back in what, January, February? Yeah, I think, well, we, I think somewhere somewhere in there. I can't quite remember exactly without looking at the email. Yeah. We, you know, I think I'll be able to salvage some of it, but, you know, I won't bore people with the details, but they're going to hear two conversations, <laughs> two, like, half conversations or whatever. But I'm pretty sure I got the front half of last time and where we were just kind of talking about, like, guitars and stuff, if I remember correctly. And mm -hmm. then what got cut out is the whole reason you're here is you guys had, like, a, was it a new record or a new single? exactly what it was it's been a while yeah a little of both um we single was the singles i should say we put out a seven inch so oh okay yeah we did those two songs um and then we're currently working on the uh, release of the full length okay and um yes yeah, so i figure we can just like jump right in there and talk about the new the new stuff so first of all like what what's uh what is it called, and um, how long ago did you put out those singles? So the singles came out in December, and then the the actual 
physical copies were started shipping out in uh, early January. Okay. Well, what's the uh, what's the turnaround time on um, having a seven inch made? Because I've heard like right now because of pandemic, or maybe it's not because of I just don't know. But like, there's been a lot of people talking about like major delays getting records actually pressed. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's just a, a byproduct, like you said, of the pandemic, or if it's just that so many people were trying to put out records, and you know, the the factory can't keep up. Factories um, where we got these pressed, I think I want to say that the uh, one of the labels, SBAM, has like their own vinyl pressing plant that they work with. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so <clears throat> it's in England. I know that. And they're based in Austria in Austria. So I think the only thing that they got held up by was actually just customs because of the whole Brexit mess. Oh. Uh, yeah, our records were sitting in customs for like a month before they were finally able to ship them out. <laughs> wow. Who would have thought like that would be one of the unintended or attended consequences of something like that, you know? <laughs> yeah totally Wild. i mean it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot that they didn't really think through before they were just like heck yeah we're out of here brexit later right jesus christ dude you know what <laughs> something is really embarrassing is i thought for the longest time i thought brexit was the name of the person that wanted to pull them out <laughs> i didn't put, i didn't put two and two together for like six months and then, I'm like this. That Brexit's a weird name, but I, I mean, I knew that they was it was about exiting the European Union or whatever, but I didn't put thought the name of the actual person. Good old I, Gary Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> I felt so stupid. But Used to uh, play soccer with him back in first grade, <laughs> right? But uh, but yeah, it's just a weird, weird like what far reach consequences like that can happen like you said they don't really think about it but we're not going to get into british politics too much um because i usually because i don't know much about it so i'm gonna say like i don't need any help making myself sound like an idiot and i think if we were gonna go that route it would just be unlike um but i'm curious though um in terms of because i'm you know i'm navigating the waters of like record coming out here soon i think a lot of listeners are first time band people and they're trying to figure out like the business side of things and, like the, the process behind the record and things like that in terms of like marketing releasing and things like that and so is this is like a seven inch i'm just in your experience like actually creating a record for the singles and then also is it is that what you're doing so like a seven inch for the singles and then like the full <laughs> length also on vinyl so i mean it'll it'll be uh, the full length will be on vinyl as well but the reason we kind of decided to go the route of putting out the two singles and like a separate seven inch away from the actual full length record was we got these masters for for the record like the final final mixes and whatnot literally the week that the world shut down so uh, we actually yeah so we were going to put this out last year um like i think we were slotted originally to put it out early summer like june but when we got them back and everything shut down 
that whole timetable kind of went out the window and we didn't really have uh, a label lined up at that time. We were shop. We we're going to shop it. And I mean, I already have a release date set. Essentially a lot of, a lot of labels just kind of put out what they had already announced and then put a hold on everything else. So rather than, Rather than just waiting longer, having people wait longer for, for new music, we decided to put out a couple songs while we figured out the the actual promotion timetable and everything for the full length. So that's kind of what those two songs were. Uh, basically, just something for people to, to chew on. I gotcha. And I would, you know, in terms of like the actual, um, the physical release aspect of it too, like, I'm curious, now that that's been out, like, did you guys feel like there was a good response to that? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think people were overdue for some new counterpunch tunes, so it was good to get some new stuff out there. And I think gotcha. the response, I think the response was pretty pretty great overall. I think a lot. The only negative responses I saw were something along the lines of, "Really, it was it's been this long, and you just put out two songs." <laughs> <laughs> I was relax, like, relax, well, it's coming. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to happen, bro. Just relax. Yeah, that's the only good thing about my position, like not having it out, is that there's no one waiting for it. <laughs> you know? It's totally. like, I can kind of sit on my hands for a while. And, you know, if if I put out a record and it's successful, it'll be like we're overnight successes, even though we've been sitting on material for like three fucking years. <laughs> you know totally but, uh, <laughs> yeah so i'm wondering if if this um if maybe the response to the seven inch i'm not sure if that's something you guys have done in the past but like i'm curious about unintended um positive positives from the way people release covid so do you think that having a physical release for singles is something that one have you done in the past but also do you think it's something that you've done in the future that you'll do in the future like based on the reception of it this time around um it's it's hard to say because we, we haven't really done something like that before and i don't know if there's necessarily i don't know what kind of market there is for you know for a, a seven inch single if the, that same song is already released on say like a full-length record you know but I've, my friend uh my friend has like an old jukebox at his place and it spins 45s and i jokingly was like dude you could you could totally put our uh put our record into your into your uh jukebox at home and it'll work you know uh, yeah yeah i think the 7 inches are like a, they're like a super fan type of purchase under normal circumstances totally like, like almost like a collector's item kind of situation yeah yeah cuz i'm curious too like you know, without having to like give away like the actual cost of all of it, I'm wondering if like if it's cost effective to make seven inches like under normal. So obviously, you wanted to put something out and you want have something physical for people to have, you know, given the COVID and everything. But mm -hmm. I'm just curious if you would if you find that like under normal circumstances, is, is it like worth it financially from the perspective of like I'm in a band or listeners who are in a band or trying to figure out how they want to release their stuff. Sure. I think, I think the way that most people end up handling seven inches is like a split between two bands. 
So it's like a collab kind of situation almost. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's the majority of the ones I've seen. Um, or a lot of it, the other half of the things I've kind of seen down that path are kind of what we did. So they're like songs that were recorded during the same session as like a full length record that just didn't quite make the cut as far as the track listing. So yeah. Which is B-sides which is exactly what these yeah, which is exactly what these two songs were. I think we recorded six or seven extras um in that session. And when we got them all back and started to kinda go through track listing and you know, figure out what works, what doesn't work. It wasn't necessarily like a well this song's better than that song situation. It was more just like the grouping of tracks, how they worked together. How you they know? flow, yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. as much as as much as people digest music digitally and streaming and and whatnot now it's it still matters to us we're nerds like that so especially if you put yeah. it on vinyl because you want to like put that record on and it's like a journey from point a to point b not necessarily a concept al- album but you know if it if it's like, just like a seamless little journey for the listener it's more fun than just like here's a collection of songs we put out you know yeah see i think like the way i want to do it based on pretty much everything you just said like is so for instance like what i'm putting out is is five songs but there's like little intros and interludes and things like that that are on separate tracks so i'm thinking like release that release the record as like singles almost the whole thing you know all the main ones mm-hmm. just like one after another and then you know because like you were saying people kind of consume things digitally and they consume things the single is a very convenient way to digest a little bit of music to sort of make make a decision about what your opinion is on this band and then you know so release it that way that kind of like maximizes the amount of promotion you get to do too because like the more you were the more releases you have the more times you get to promote something so then do it that way but then like then release the the full thing with like the interludes the intro outro all that stuff so that the people who really like it can also have like the actual intended piece of art that the record's supposed to be the artist perspective you know what i mean Totally. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think the way that kind of like digital media has changed the the album cycle, I guess you'd call it, is is just that. It's it's like you make the decisions on what songs are gonna be the singles first and then kind of figure out what songs you want those same songs, those singles, if you're gonna do videos and then time that up. But I feel like with the way people digest stuff now you can legitimately just do an entire album of singles and just release those, you know, Yeah. instead of, instead of just putting the whole record out, you can do it individually one song at a time, like one a week or something like that. I've seen a lot of artists do that kind of stuff where, you know, in the span of like three months, they put out eight songs or nine songs and it's like once a week, a new song hits. Yeah. Which is different, way different than, you know, times past times past where, you know, the label sits down and goes, okay, here, here are the, the, the two or three, you know, singles to our, to our ears. So here's what we're going to concentrate on releasing first. And then, you know, the rest of the record will come out on release day. Right, right. See, I think too, like, you know, this is funny because somehow this keeps coming up on every episode I do in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> but I'm going to say it again, because you're a new person. But like, back in the day like books used to be released that way by chapter, like in newspaper shit. Like really? 
Yeah, Charles Dick. Okay, I'm glad that you don't know this. I can I had, feel excited about it. I had no idea. That's that's actually really cool. Yeah. So like Charles Dickens, like that's the that's one that comes to mind. You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald. I think like around the turn of the century, um, way back when. You know, eighteen. I'm pretty sure, and I don't think any history nerds listen to this podcast are going to correct me, but I'm pretty sure that's when. <laughs> but I know <laughs> I for a fact. I hope there's not a cross section of listeners that are very knowledgeable on Brexit and also, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, and also like historical newspaper book chapter releases. You yeah, might be in some trouble, man. I know, dude. Fuck. But yeah, so like Tale of Two Cities, Great Expectations. Those are two that I'm aware of that were released um, chapter by chapter, like in the New York Times or something like that. And that's really cool. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, after everything is released, then, you know, the actual book is published. It's like, that. so I think like, it'd be really cool to do something of that nature, uh, you know, with, with a record. Um, you know, I, I think obviously it's different because you're not reading a record in a magazine, you know, obviously there's differences and stuff, but, um, but there's some similarities too there. Yeah. It, well, basically the point I take away from it is like, the, the idea that people enjoy consuming small doses is not a new concept. It's not at all a new concept. Like, yeah, like it's definitely been worsened by, you know, ADD. And um, when I say ADD, I don't really necessarily mean the diagnosis, but I mean like the way people have a smaller and smaller attention span because apps are literally designed that way, you know? Yeah. Um, well, there's just but so yeah. much out there too. I mean, you, it's at your fingertips. I think that's a big part of it too. It's like option yeah. paralysis that there's so yes. many different things you could digest at that given time. You know, you're, you're fortunate enough to have you know, three minutes of this person's attention. Yeah. Yeah. No, like definitely, definitely. Like you think about option paralysis. I'm glad I, I know exactly what you're saying. I didn't realize that was, a, but, but yeah, it's like, even, you know, if you have too many shirts, like, <laughs> When you're trying exactly. to decide what to put on, it's like if you only had two, it'd be way easier to get out the door. Yeah, choice A or B instead of like A, B, C, D, E, you know? Yeah. It's like going to a restaurant that has like a, a menu that's 20 pages long, you know? And yeah. I mean, what are you going to pick off? So many food items. And even then, it's like, how many of these are actually good? <laughs> Right. Versus like you go to a place that has like a 20 item menu and everything is just awesome, you know? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Quality, quality over quantity, I guess is the, uh, the key there. Yeah. And like, that's tie it back to, I think like, um, that's kind of my approach when it comes to, you know, is I don't, you guys have like a bunch of B sides and stuff. And I was just going to say that it's not always quality over quantity because like, Sometimes bands just, they write 20 freaking songs and then they narrow it down into a record. Whereas I think I'm more of the type where I've talked to some people that are this way. And I, I feel like there's more people that are, are like you guys and then narrow it down. But some people like myself, like you only have what's recorded, like whatever is out. That's all <laughs> like, that's all <laughs> that there is. Yeah. Which and is cool. I, I mean, it's, it's, it sucks to not have more options to like, you know, offer people new music ready to go whenever, whenever you have something just like laying around like that. But 
at the same time, it's, it's kind of cool that you don't because you have to go create, you know? Yes. And yeah. it's a different, it's a snapshot of a different time in your life creatively from when the other collection of songs was written. So, you know, there's like, there's advantages and disadvantages to both sides of that, but I think the yeah. advantages, I think, I think it's kind of cooler that, you know, an artist is like forced to kind of go into action and create again, instead of just having a stockpile, you know? Yeah. I think that there's, you know, within certain confines, because I think it could go too far that way where, you know, you're on like a strict time schedule or something like that from a label or whatever, which I guess wouldn't be the worst problem to have because you have a label, but like at the same time <laughs> they're, <laughs> you know, they're like, you know, you, you've always heard the, the horror story, or whatever, like when you get signed to a big label and then all of a sudden they give you, you have a year to, to do the next full length or something, which sounds like a fucking, like bittersweet sort of nightmare dream scenario. Like, okay, I'm on a major label and I'm also be- being forced to uh, sacrifice artistic integrity, like, which is worse, you know? Um, but I think, yeah, kind of just not to ramble too much. Like I think going back to the original point, like it, I, I, I actually do enjoy like being forced to have to like, all right, if I'm going to put something else out, that means I actually have to write it. Like, and I actually think the stuff I write moving forward like the next release i do is going to be more cohesive than the one i'm putting out later this year just because it's the first one that i'm putting out which means like there's like three to five years of collected material that went into it whereas i'm not going to wait that long again put out another one so it's gonna be music that's from like a smaller block of time you know what i mean You still there, dude? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I got really quiet. I thought I lost you for a second there. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, it's all good. But yeah. Um. Anyway, so like, I'm wondering if... So the fact that you guys had so much to, to work with, is that product maybe of just having more people in the band? Like, do you guys have like a more collaborative writing process? For the most part, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> uh, Jared, Jim myself and Kyle all kind of bring in different little ideas. And then, you know, they get, it's very rare that there's like a, a full song. Just here you go, guys, check it out. I wrote this. It's done. You know, we don't, right. we don't really, we don't really work that way. Although some are, some ideas are further along than others, but for the most part, um, <clears throat> it's a very collaborative effort to get the finished product. And even within, you know, that grouping of songs we had, we had more that we didn't bring to the studio that are i don't even know what you call them seasides because they didn't get recorded officially like they're demoed by us but you know they don't they didn't get uh recorded officially in like this the studio studio so um it was really like a grouping of of tracks and then we kind of sent them to uh the guy who was going to be recording us because we wanted we wanted to have a good amount of input from someone who hadn't heard these songs like a thousand times each like we have you know yeah and get their opinion on you know what <clears throat> excuse me sorry on what um on what songs they would they think we should record you know we have uh, obviously everyone has their uh has their favorites individually so right was i was cool. I was... It was cool to get a different set of ears to to be like yeah i don't i, don't, I like this one but i don't really th- think it fits with the rest maybe don't bring that one in that kind of situation. Yeah. 
I think like if you if you know if you have access to something like that, whether it's just friends or whatever, you know, obviously you want to take. I feel like if you're gonna go that route, you want to ask uh, multiple people so that you can like kind of collect an average of people's opinions because mm-hmm. you might show one person who thinks something who might just like confirm all your guys' ideas, but then you show five more people and they all have different ideas. You know what I mean? So I think like you want to be careful in that regard. But like another thing I was thinking too, while uh, you're talking about like the, your guys' writing collaborative process or whatever is I thought it was a good thing that there's not always like, or not usually full songs brought to the table because I'm thinking with like multiple songwriters, and you can tell me if you guys have ever had any issues with this because I, I mean, bands always have some issues, but I was just thinking like, say, you know, you guys have two or three people who actually are, could be considered like leading songwriters on any given song. You know, it could get weird when it comes time to like cut some stuff because you need to make the record a certain length or whatever. And like, all right, well, how many of his songs do we put on and how many of his songs, you know what I mean? Like, keeping track of like whose stuff is getting cut and who who's not so yeah i I mean i think that that just comes down to the individual individuals in the band and like how their attitude toward the music is you know like i don't think i don't think any of us have kind of an ownership attitude toward toward the tunes like that that's you know which is which is which is healthy because i feel like that's actually a real negative way to kind of view your own art, I guess. Yeah. Like this is mine. That's yours kind of situation. It's like you all created it together, but if you have multiple singers, like we, which we do, then I can see maybe from that perspective, like, Oh, there's, you know, there's a lot of Jared songs and not a lot of Eric songs or, you know, vice versa and try to like think that way. But I think, they just kind of work that that just kind of works itself out without us having to really do anything like that. So. Yeah. That's probably speaks to like, you're just your social dynamic too. Says people like getting along. Yeah. We're just, you know, we're just four buds that like to make music (laughs) and fortunately can make it happen between the four of us. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Just having a band, letting a, let alone like, having people that you get along with like it's hard enough to just find four people that can play and want to <laughs> you know yeah then then you add like a having a good working relationship and then you add like can i get along with these people for two weeks on a van type of thing yeah which... that's what I've, that's what i've always said to people it's like if you can't get into a van with this group of people and like not tear each other's heads off I don't think right. it's going to work. Right. <laughs> and right. like, I mean, people, I don't think people, the average people, average person has a, a good understanding of what, you know, what actual tour is like, you know, everyone sees the movies and, you know, imagines like 1980s sunset strip party, party, <laughs> party and that's yeah. like backstage every show. And it's like, that's only 70% know. of it. No. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. The other 30 though. That's the, that's the real nitty gritty. <laughs> right. It's grueling. I mean, it's it's a it's a grind for sure. It's fun, but you know, the only part that's really really fun is the that time that you have on stage. Everything else is just working to get to that point. Yeah. What was um? How old were you guys when you like first started touring? And like, what was the what was the early experience of touring like? 
Um, I would say it was, I mean, I've been, I've been kind of touring on and off since I was like 17. So, um, I'm 41 now. So it's, it's been a while. Um, I, I don't think yeah. the early days have changed much than much more than, you know, how things are handled now, actually it's a huh. matter of actually having a guarantee and a booking agent and having them deal with all that stuff that before, you know, when we we're first starting off, obviously we're DIY doing everything yeah. on our own and agencies tend to get a better response out of, of uh, promoters and stuff than, you know, just, Hey, I'm Eric and I'm in this band. Can we play a show? Right. Right. So it makes it easier that way because, you know, we're able to look at it more like from a business perspective and kind of forecast things like, all right, so this is generally what we can expect to be paying on, you know, in gas for this next, this next run. Here's like basic hotel budget and everything kind of like worked in. Cause you know what you're making each show generally. Yeah. Whereas, you know, DIY and just going about it on your own. There's some shows that you might not get paid for, you know, and you just drove 300 miles and spent a bunch of money on gas and you get dicked over by a promoter. Right. Right. I think like, I think everyone's been there at some point in time. Yeah. And you know, the shitty thing too, is like, it's almost like for me, from what it looks like, I haven't been on tour, but talking to a bunch of having my eyes open. I feel like right now, like, Tour. If you did like a, a a tour where you're like all DIY house venue, say they're deep. I feel like, you know, you probably get paid at all of those because there's like a real, like online like shaming movement to, to I mean, in a good way to like shame people who don't do the right thing for bands who don't help out the bands supposed to. You know, so I think everyone who runs a DIY house venue, for the most part, understands that. But as a band, your goal is to move beyond those things. So it's almost like you're moving out of the house circuit and you're playing actual venues, say, on like a second or third tour. And now you're more likely to get fucked over because, <laughs> you know, they, you're playing venues that might not necessarily have like the sort of ethics, you know? Totally. So it's, I mean, it's their businesses and they're just trying to make you know, make money. And if a show isn't successful, you know, they, they can't turn around and be like, well, yep, there was uh, two people here today. So here's your $500 or whatever, you know, it's like, right. be like, yeah, no one was here. So we have no money to pay you with. And without right. guarantee, without guarantees, that's just kind of, you know, what you're dealing with. Yeah. And there's like a fine line too, to like, depending on what status your band is, like I'm talking like early on, like starting out as a band, first couple of tours or whatever, like, how much can you really expect? You know totally. what I mean? Like you're, you're new and like, ooh, it's different now too. You know, it's, it's not like everyone has uh, the, the house, the house show spot. Like we had in high school, we put one show on a month or something like that. And everyone yeah. just shows up. Right. Because everyone knows about it. But if you're just someone from another city playing a, a foreign town or something like that, for the first time, you can't expect a huge turnout. Right. I mean, in a perfect world, they're all huge turnouts, but. <laughs> right. Let me know where that is. is. <laughs> yeah, right. It is a little easier, I think, for people to discover bands just based on, you know, like we were talking about before, how everything is so accessible as opposed to like pre MySpace days where you just like get a flyer from somebody and that was like how you found out about a show or a new band you hadn't heard of that was playing like with your friend's band or something like that. 
But now you can yeah. plug it in, check them out, and see if you want to go to the show or not. Right. What was it like, um, like early on promoting shows out of town? You know what I mean? Because like you know, before you know, Facebook was events were a thing. Before like Spotify and things like that were such a major source of new music and and listening to bands. Like what? Like if you guys are touring somewhere like you know two or three states over or whatever, what what types of stuff do you do? You just rely on the promoter or like is there stuff yeah, I mean, you, you do as a band? You're, you're kind of at the mercy of whoever's putting the show on. I mean, if they're not promoting it, I don't really know how, how you would be able to do that outside of like taking out an ad or something and like a newspaper right. in that area. I don't, you know, it's uh, you're right. 100% tied to the success of that show is 100% tied to whoever is putting it on and how much work they put into actually promoting the show. And a lot of that, I mean, that's still true now, but it's just a different, you know, different method. Like you said, Facebook events and, you know, sponsored posts and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. And then even, even then, like relying on the promoter a hundred percent, even if it's like a good promoter and they do a good job, you might just get unlucky, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just, I mean, there's a lot just, of fact, there's a lot of factors in it's a lot of it comes down to the individual town too. Like Chicago probably has, for instance, like 200 plus venues, you know? Right. So any given night you're, you're basically competing with 200 other shows. Right. You and know, sometimes, sometimes you can't do anything about that. Like that's just the date that you got booked into that particular city. And you find out, you know, a mile away, freaking like Rise Against is playing or something. You know, it's like, oh, our <laughs> show's, show's going to suck. Yeah. Like, not only is there like another show, but it's like a band that you wish you were playing with. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, we can just like your, smash your together the two shows. Yeah. Like, anyone who likes your band is going to go to that show. You know what I mean? Totally. And then you'll get the, hey, dude, uh, love you guys. I'll catch you next show. I got to go to this Rise Against show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever get like, um, cause I've, I've heard like people that are, once they become famous or whatever, this becomes like a really, um, annoying thing, but I'm just curious if it's ever happened to you guys. Like, you know, you just hit a show, you just hit the city. And then like the day later you get some like fan hitting you up saying like, when are you coming to my city? And you were just there. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. That happens all the time. Or, really? Yeah. You know. <laughs> I've uh, I've I've been pretty good about not commenting on that kind of stuff, you know, when I see yeah. it on Facebook <laughs> or something like that. Because I was like, dude, we, we literally were just there 48 hours ago. Where were you? Right. <laughs> Man. Yeah. And it's just like, how much of a fan are you? <laughs> how did you not know? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think the uh, I think the um, come to Brazil guy, there's always a guy that's like, come to Brazil. I'm like so many punk fans post it's not one guy it's like a group of people in brazil i'm guessing that always comment that it's like a running joke between some of uh me and some of our, my other band friends i'll just like comment on their posts like come to brazil <laughs> right it always, it always seems to happen that guy always seems to show up everywhere somehow yeah i i could see that being I mean, on one more more humorous than annoying because like one person not being there isn't gonna like make or break a show. And if someone is asking that, that's a good sign in the first place. You know, it's like, oh, they like your stuff, blah blah blah. But 
just the irony of it <laughs> strikes me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I think, like I said, we can um, probably wrap it up because I don't want the episode to end up being too long because we did. I did. I mean, as as long as you uh, as long as you have all you need to know about brunch DJs, that's all that really matters. Because I remember us talking about that. <laughs> oh shit! God, I, don't... I think remember. I think it was. I think that was our conversation about brunch DJs. Because I was at uh, I was at one of the the places I work at for for like an R and D session for for new cocktail menus. I think when we chatted last, so we got to talking about that. Oh, I'm gonna have to like go back and listen because like I do so many of these that I can't remember specific details. But that happens a lot when like people tell me something that we talked about. Like, remember we talked about this? And I'm like, that sounds really funny. How do I not remember that? <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I mean that's actually a nice way to go and try and find because I like the concept of brunch DJ that makes me laugh. I don't understand like. Imagine it's hard. It's hard to explain unless you know you've uh, you've experienced it. So, <laughs> like, I mean, imagine being the type of guy who like gets real pumped up to go DJ like a brunch restaurant. Like, I to- imagine oh totally. I mean, for them, for them, it's like just extra money is for a chill DJ set. Maybe you know, right? <laughs> it's fucking awesome! Holy shit! But yeah, actually, uh, this weekend I have a. Uh, it's once a month my company does this thing called Bungalow Brunch, and it's literally a ticketed event and like ten or twelve DJs all day long. It's it's like the bane oh, of wow. my existence every every month. And I just realized that it's this weekend, and I'm like, oh god damn it! <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound good. Like imagine uh, like a battle of the bands or something, but it's like just DJs, and it's just like. <laughs> they're all they're not even like original djs they're just like who can crossfade top 40 hits the best and like <laughs> oh that's yeah that sounds awful yeah man dj why. dj press play yeah this sounds like i'm hating on djs but that's because i am but it's all good i think uh i should do an entire episode just about different djs i should get like a karaoke like a wedding dj on here <laughs> <laughs> I would, yeah. I would definitely, I would definitely be checking out that episode because I think it'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's just telling me about how it's pretty tough on the road. You know what I mean? The forty-five minute drive that he has to do to <laughs> get to the gig. <laughs> uh, but all right, dude. I think we got it. I think we got it. Is there anything else that you wanted to uh, that we maybe missed about the record or anything like that? Um, I don't think so. Uh, Rewire is the title of the new L- the new uh, LP. It'll be out in the next few months not don't have a concrete release date yet but we're just trying to work through that with the uh with the labels and figure out where we fit into their calendar so keep your ears open because it'll be out there soon cool cool all right dude well then yeah i will let you know i'll try to push this one to the front line um because of the hang-ups stuff so i'll put this out pretty soon but i'll let you know cool man sounds good all right dude good, take it easy good, good chatting with you take it easy dude yeah, for sure. All right. Bye. Hey, that is it. So thank you for listening. Um, sorry about the audio quality on that one. Sometimes I have to record when I'm not home um, just because of my busy schedule. And so I just record with my headphones and apparently the microphone's not the best. So I try to do these from home as much as possible, especially lately. Um, but yeah, I do apologize for the audio quality. Um, but normally what you can expect from my voice quality wise is what you're hearing right now um 
and that's not speaking to the quality of my actual voice. Anyways, thank you for listening. Give us a follow on the socials, ICN Pod on Twitter. Invite the neighbors on Instagram, Facebook. Who fucking cares? Um, you know, really. But like, if you if you want to give us, you know, a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called, Google Play would be great. We're on Stitcher. If you want to rate us there, review us. So you know, it helps. Um, follow us on Spotify. Download the episodes. Share it with your friends. Subscribe. Blah, 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 blah. You guys listen to podcasts. You know what podcasts want you to do. Please do it. You know, fucking Armchair Expert doesn't need you to review them. I do. Okay? They're already established. I need your help. Please. If you like this podcast, please, 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 please do these things for me. Help me out. All right. Anyways, thank you for listening, and you guys have a good one.